Today we have a first. My guest is an actual real-life professor, an academic, a magician, a sceptic, a viral video creator, an author of best-selling books and proper scientific papers. It's the one and only Professor Richard Wiseman. Richard, how are you this evening? Um, I'm... <laughs> Just as you asked that, uh, I lost the feed there. So um, I'm assuming there was a question in there, and I assume it was sort of along the lines of um, "How am I?" Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There we go. There we go. That's not like the worst. That, the worst cold reading ever. Basically, was, uh, I'm, 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 I'm picking up a question. How am I? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Thank you. And uh, are you well? I'm lovely. Thank you very much for asking. Good. What's your What's your origin story? You have 26 seconds. In magic. Yeah, sure. Um, or in life, you can pick. In, in life, well, okay. Uh, my grandfather showed me uh, actually a, a wonderful. He showed me coin in nester boxes every single Sunday, oh. and I, I was dead. I was about eight years old. I was desperate to know how this was done, and uh, he, he said, "I'm not going to tell you how it's done. I'll tell you where the secret is, though. It's in the local library." And so Did I had to go and Dewey. read. Uh, that's right. I had to read all <laughs> the magic books in the library. And eventually, uh, I, I came across coin in nester boxes. I went back, and he gave me the coin slide. It sits about oh. 10 yards from here in my office. It's oh. the most valuable thing I have um, because it's the thing that got me into magic. Of and then course. about, last, I think, last year, I was going to do a talk at the Magic Circle. It was a nice coin slide. And so I, I phoned up my mum, and I said, did, did Grandad actually know some magicians? Because it's a nicely made thing. And she said, oh, he never used that. And I said, well, how did he do it? And he said, she said, well, you went down there every weekend and you signed a coin. He made it disappear. And then he just load that into the nest of boxes. Your <laughs> 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 next visit. <laughs> I love your grandpa. I He's love fantastic. Your grandpa. So I said to her, well, what, what, why, was he, why did he hold on to the coin slide? And she said, oh, he never knew what that was about. That's why he sent you to the library. So... <laughs> Uh, so, it's, it's, so that's my origin story, getting into magic, um, being lied to by my grandfather, basically. Perfect. I first came across your work via my interest in scepticism in my 20s, and you'd published a book in the 90s about investigating psychics. What did you learn during the research for that book? Not to investigate psychics. That was my main <laughs> um, finding. They are uh, all they're annoying. Uh, they're, they're like magicians, uh, but they lie properly. Uh, that's the that's the big difference. Um, so I did I did a uh, so so I was into magic as a as a kid, about eight year old, mm. ten year old kid, and then I read this book, uh, which is Magic and Showmanship, and it said that everyone should read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is a fantastic book. It pains me to say it as a uh, self self help author now, um, but it is a fantastic book. And uh, so I read that, got into psychology. Uh, did psychology in London for three years, and then just I just bumped into a friend of mine just when I was finishing the degree, and he said, oh, there's a guy in Edinburgh um, who's looking at uh, wanting a magician to go and work with them on the psychology of the paranormal. And that was Professor Bob Morris, who'd uh, got the, the Kersler professorship here in uh, Edinburgh. And so I went up, and for four years, I investigated psychics and mediums looking at the psychology of deception. And what I found out was that you see, magicians, the framing is interesting. When you watch a magician, you know you're going to be tricked. And so it's a pretty tough old audience because people are quite sophisticated. Sure. You go along to a psychic and you're not even thinking about trickery if you're a believer. Yeah. And so the trickery is rubbish. 
you go along to these these, these um, um, seances or to psychic readings, and and it's just a bit. It's just bad magic, basically. It's, it's bad <laughs> magic. Bad magic plus lying, which is it's not a good combo. So for four years, I saw bad magic plus lying, um, and then wrote the, a few books and papers on it. Yeah. Your debunking was not without some controversy. The psychic pet busting with JT and the, the Russian girl with the X-ray eyes. Yes. Believers called you out and questioned mm. your data and interpretation mm. of that data. Did did that annoy you? No. No, I think that's perfectly reasonable. I, I think if... I mean, the, the, the paranormal... The difference between magic and the paranormal is that magic doesn't matter to any spectator at all. You know, they'll go, oh, wow, that's great. And they you might mention it to their friends. Yeah, that's right, whatever. Um, the thing about the paranormal is that it is often an absolute bedrock for people's beliefs about themselves and the world, and it gives them hope and so on. And sure. so as a sceptic, if you come along and say, well, this stuff isn't true, well, you better expect some flack. And over about a decade or so, yeah, of course, people were, were critical and, and so on. And, and I, actually, I, I think that's really important that they are. We, we should hear those, those voices. So I did that for that, that sort of debunking work. And then I, I kind of, there's only so many times you can say this isn't true before you just get a little bit bored. And I, I think I, I went to a sales conference and it was an awards thing and there was like salesperson of the year. And I was happened to sit on the same table as salesperson of the year. Oh, you're lucky man. To, exactly, exactly. Um, I, I turned to salesperson of the year and I said, what's the secret of selling? And they said, find something everybody wants to buy. And it's a great thought. And I thought, you know what? I've been telling people about this sceptical stuff. I've been trying to tell them that the psychics that give them hope or the mediums that have to contact that allegedly their, their loved ones, none of that's true. And of course, you can't sell it. No one's interested in that. Right. And so I went home and I started to work on the luck factor, which was about selling science, um, but telling people that we've done all this work into the psychology of luck and it tells you how to be lucky. And if you think and behave like a lucky person, then you can improve your luck. And that just sold overnight. That book went to a bidding war all around the world. And so I started to do what I call positive skepticism, which is getting people interested and enthusiastic about science, but in a positive way, rather than the negativity that's sometimes associated with debunking psychics. Uh... Interesting. Do you, it, it, during the research, could, do, could, do, could your response to that be a little less energy? <laughs> you went, oh, interesting. It was like, yeah, actually, I'm really interested in that in any way. I've been homeschooling a five-year-old. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you poor is, man. Yeah, I know. She's been my oh. um, No, oh. it's, it is. The, the change is interesting because you don't get the fight that Randy had. No. Turned you into a best-selling author. I, well, it, it, it changed everything, yeah. Um, Quackology, eh? Yes. Five, 500 million views. Yes, Why did me. you start just it? just me watching it again <laughs> and, and again mom. and again. I mean, mum, yes. I, I just love that channel. You need that AdSense revenue. Exactly. Um, why, why did you start it? And how do you feel now you've had so many people watch the videos? I started it, all these things that have happened to me have all been kind of chance, if you like. YouTube had just come along. I think Marco Tempest had done a few pieces, illusion mm -hmm. pieces on there. I think he was a very early adopter. I'd seen those and I had this idea. It was in my head for about six months, which was a, a trick 
where you wouldn't notice the effect first time round. So obviously with magic, you want people to notice the effect and hopefully not see the method. Mm. What I wanted was not to notice the effect. And then second time round, not to notice the method to the effect that you just missed first time round. <laughs> Okay. And I was thinking, how do you solve that? And I, was, and I love just solving ideas in my head. Um, that's about six months, and it was called the color-changing card trick. And one day in the lab, everyone was looking a bit bored, and so I went and spent £50 and bought some material. And we filmed this thing for about two or three hours. I put it up on YouTube. I went to bed, woke up in the morning, and it was about 200,000 views, which back then was a volume. Now it's a lot. This was when? Uh, that's a good question. Two years after YouTube started, I think 2009, I think. Crikey. Something like that, yeah. So in dog years, 200,000 views that's is right. like 20 million or something. It was today. massive, massive. Yeah. And I suddenly realized this thing was going to be bigger than television. It was going to be a game changer. It was radical. I mean, I'd worked a lot in television by then. And, uh, you know, then you've always got commissioning editors that you're trying to pitch things to. It goes through producers and so on. And what I thought you were doing is, was losing the authenticity of magic. Magic works best when you believe the performer and you believe that's happening right there and then. And that was getting ironed out of a lot of shows. And, and so I just got excited about it. We got all those views and we just kept on making stuff. And, and it is, I mean, you start to feel kind of a little bit old because you know, there are now young, people, young, young, young men and women that come up to me who go, oh, as a kid, I watched your stuff. That's the reason I got into psychology or the reason I got into magic. That happened quite a lot of Blackpool, was it? Right. Blackpool this year. And uh, it was lovely. Uh, but you think, oh, goodness, that's Aging. right. Yeah, that's right. You think, oh, yeah, okay, time's moved on. But it's great. It's, it was all filmed in the room just next door to me there. It's, it's all homegrown. It all comes out of my head, and it's all very silly. So I, I, I hope it's a joyous celebration of magic without giving anything away, really. Can you – and I think the answer's going to be no, but I'm going to ask anyway. Can you say what you think made some of the videos go viral? Because everybody listening to this would love 500 million views. Are there any general tips or pointers you can share, or do you think it is just luck? I, no, I don't think it's luck. I, 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 so I did some work for Google, actually, about what makes for viral videos, and we interviewed ah. lots of creators. And, you know, everybody said, you know, do what you know, do what you love. And I, and I think that's the best sort of... Because on television, they're trying to get a massive audience and, and often appeal to the lowest common denominator in order to be able to do that. On YouTube, if you love it, probably, I don't know, even though you were a weird magician or a weird psychologist, <laughs> uh, probably 1% of the population of the whole world loves it. Well, that's a lot of people when you're broadcasting to the whole world. So don't try and create stuff that's going to be popular. Create stuff for yourself create stuff that you know is good and that you would love to see because there's lots of you out there. And, and that's all we ever do on Quackology. We, we just create stuff where I look at it and go, oh, that's really, that would fool me. I would love trying to work that out. And then I stick it out. And, and that, that's kind of it. Do what you know, do what you love. You're an extremely clever person. Gotcha. And the material we... Yeah, yes. The material we've seen you do is always very tailored to your work as a scientist. But you started off, I believe, doing straight magic and were one of the youngest members of the magic circle, according to my research. What kind of things were you doing then? 
Uh, well, then, I mean, I joined, I think, when I was 17. I think I lied about my age. You're supposed to be 18, <laughs> but I, I lied. So, yeah, exactly. So I did Young Magician of the Year. A little bit uh -huh. I think I was 16 uh, for that. And that was when um, Richard Pearson, as he was then, now Richard Cadell of Sooty fame, mm -hmm. and another fame as well, um, he won. And I'm still bitter about it, quite frankly. Yeah, it could have been me. I can sense that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, but he's lovely. And so I did that. I was just doing sort of straight stage stuff then. It was all a bit weird, but it was pretty normal sort of stage stuff. Then I went to UCL, University College London. And uh, I've always had uh, that part of my life. So I'm, quite a, I'm from quite a modest background. So, so I had no money at all. So I, at that point, to go to university was an expensive thing to do. Sure. And I had no money. And so I thought, I know, I'll go and busk in Covent Garden. In, that, that would bring in some money, like a fool. And so I went down there and met Duncan Trillo, still a broker uh -huh. friend of mine, and, and he was fantastic, and I wasn't. And then <laughs> I realized I'd got no money for food, and my girlfriend was a nutritionist. And she worked out that if I just ate porridge and grapefruit segments, I'd be all right. So that's, the, <laughs> that's, what, I, that's what I consumed for a month, porridge and grapefruit segments, while going down every day to Covent Garden to try and earn some money. A big part of what fascinates people about your work and your talks is that there's usually a surprise reveal of some kind after each experiment that you do. Do you sort of think about material for yourself in the same way magicians think about tricks? In other words, do you look for certain dramatic elements in what you do and what are they? Yeah, totally. So I think magic runs through everything I do. I don't work as a magician now. I work as sometimes a speaker. And the way that talk is put together is just like a magic show. You know, you, you have a, a, a quick opening and then you get into the talk and then you've got a topper at the end and all of that, that stuff. So I, I think what I would like to call magical thinking underpins pretty much everything I do, even though I don't actually work in, in magic. And, and that's why I think magicians don't realize is just how wonderful and how kind of beneficial thinking like a magician is. I mean, I, I spoke at Blackpool this year about just the fact that, you know, if I said to you, hey, look, you know, we need to levitate this chair, most people go, what, what are you talking, chairs don't levitate, what are you talking about? And magicians don't blink. They just go, well, you could do it this way, you could do it that way. Right, right. It's just how we think. We just think about impossible, how to do impossible stuff. And that's unbelievable. And, 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 and I think we forget these things. I think we start to take them for granted. So, yes, through everything that I, that I do. And I do try and make stuff surprising and have little reveals and, and so on. Hmm. And, and think like a magician. You know, so even in the talk, there's lots of belt and braces stuff where I think if that slide fails, I've got this back up or whatever. So you've got outs. <laughs> yeah, talks. I mean, actually, the, the biggest one I've got on PowerPoint, uh, this is my little secret. You've got PowerPoint about. out. <laughs> a PowerPoint out, yeah. Well, kind of. <laughs> so as a speaker, your worst possible thing is to, to, to start with the talk and then find out that something's gone wrong with the AV. The slides uh -huh. aren't changing or whatever. So I've got an opening slide. Right in the corner of that slide is a little red dot. The next slide is identical, but the blot, dot is blue. And the next slide's identical, but it's yellow. And as I'm talking to the audience for that oh. opening bit, I'm clicking through. Oh, that's smart. And I'm watching that dot change. And if it doesn't change, we don't go into the talk. So it's, I'm so it's, stealing that. No, take it, take it. <laughs> Absolutely take it. But that, that's magic thinking. What magicians interest you at the moment? I think all magic interests me. I watch it all of the time for different reasons. I think Copperfield's amazing. 
I, I think he's so absolutely fascinating to watch him work, just how smooth that is. You know, I, I, in his live show, when he does those television segments where the camera comes out, you know, it looks as good as any live television I've ever seen. So, you know, just the production on that, uh, fantastic. Penn and Teller, amazing. You know, that's so, so clever. Darren is, you know, still up there, the best performer we've produced in this country for a very long time. Absolutely. So all of that, that stuff. I don't get very excited about elastic band magic. I've, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I saw some of it at Blackpool, and you think, mm, yes, mm. Uh, so that doesn't do it for me. And that ruins my birthday present for you. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not. I'm not really into sleight of hand particularly. A lot of my friends sit around and go, "Oh, you can second deal this way," and so on. And I, I was never been really for me. But no, I, I like you know, I like intelligent magic. Is there something you think that magicians are getting wrong that your research might help? Okay, there might be many things that you think magicians are getting wrong. But is there something that... Let me finish the question. Sure. Is there something that magicians are getting wrong that your research might help get them right? I... I well, so I think the answer to the second bit is, is probably no. I, I think that the, the thing that magicians get wrong is likability. Yeah. It is that often we get into magic as, as a form of self-defense or indeed attack. And actually, when you look at the great performers, um, so I found I was watching a documentary uh, last night on Larry Grayson, who mm-hmm. many of your younger uh, listeners may not uh, know at all. But, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but the thing about Grayson, look him up on, the, uh, on, on YouTube, is he had almost no material. I mean, there's almost <laughs> nothing He's just walking out with a chair and just chatting with the audience. And right, you could right. sit and watch it all night because yeah. he's the most likable, human, fragile, vulnerable person who's just on stage with these silly lines. And there is almost no material. You know, the, the closest he came, I watched a lot of it last night, is he walks on, there's a pianist on stage, and the pianist carries on playing a bit too long. And Grayson sort of stops him and says, oh, you know, just calm down. And Grayson turns and says, um, I noticed you've had a haircut as well. And that's it. That's the closest <laughs> he comes. It's nothing. It's, and the audience are in fits of laughter. And, and the same with Cooper, actually. You know, yeah. So I, I, I think likability and charisma first and then worry about the tricky stuff where magicians are very focused on tricks. You were once part of a major study that sought to find the funniest joke of all time. What was the joke? Oh, what was the joke? Oh, yeah. So we did Laugh Lab and um, 40,000 jokes we had in and a lot of them very rude and the rest filthy. And we (laughs) put them out and people voted on them and then we we actually rank-ordered which country found them funniest and caused this international sort of crisis because we announced that Canadians got the worst sense of humour. <laughs> and I kid you not, the Canadian, there were, there were questions asked in the Canadian government. And then we announced that the winners, the best sense of humour, were the Germans. Ah. And that really upset the Canadians who asked to see our data and to see the jokes. We sent the jokes really? over. Yeah, and they said, these are terrible jokes. What kind of fools would find this, this stuff funny? So it caused all these, 
these issues, but it was great to do. The winning joke is not great. I don't like the winning joke. I, you're forcing me to tell you the winning joke. I am. Yeah. It's not a great joke. It's, I don't like this joke. I did like, there's a few jokes that came in, actually, I liked. Uh, one was, uh, what do you call a monkey in a minefield? A baboom. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that, that, but I don't like the winning joke. Winning joke is two hunters walking along in the woods, and one of them falls over and is laying there motionless. So the other one whips out their mobile phone. They call emergency services. They said, oh, my goodness, my friend is laying there motionless. What shall I do? And the uh, woman says, look, calm down. First of all, we have to make certain he's dead. And then she hears a silence and a gunshot. And then the guy comes back on the phone and says, okay, I've done that. Now what? (laughs) <laughs> it's all right. I quite, I, I quite like that. It's all right. Maybe it's something of Canadians and wilderness and, and hunting. I don't know Maybe what, it resonated. Yes. yes, I don't know, but um, yeah. So we had we had a lot we had a lot of good jokes there. Not that one though. At Magic Live and elsewhere, you've performed an entire show without being in the room. Yes. What's that like? And <laughs> how long did it take to put together? Oh, that's experimental. I remember. I remember walking into this very... I'm in the kitchen at the moment. Walking into the kitchen, saying to Caroline, my partner, I've got this idea. We're going to do a show with no performer. And she went, oh, how are you going to do that? And I said, we're going to do it with PowerPoint slides and interactivity. And we're going to give this. And she goes, fine. She goes, how long do you think that's going to take? I said, I'm going to have it ready in about a week. Three years later... <laughs> we- <laughs> I'm now not allowed to talk about experimental in the house because uh, she just starts shouting, uh, quite rightly so. Seems reasonable, yeah. Oh, absolutely reasonable. And so I put this thing together. It took about a year and a half for the very first one. And we put together this audience and they come in and I say to them, there's going to be no one on stage and and you're going to be creating the show yourself. And they all sit there and go, right. And I'm thinking, I know this show is 40 minutes and there's no one on stage. This is going to be carnage. And I walk to the back, and we start the PowerPoint thing, and blow me, it works. The audience, they, they entertained themselves. They did what they're supposed to do. They took part in the experiments and so on. And so the concept worked. And then I keep on trying to change it and improve it. So we did it at Magic Live. We've done it at the Science Museum. We did it at the Edinburgh Festival, taking it all over the the place. Um, And it's sort of the most terrifying thing because you have no control. You're not on stage. And you realize all the things that performers do in terms of pacing and control. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's a little problem, you deal with it and so on. You can't do any of that. You're at the back of the room moving slides on on PowerPoint. Um, but I, I still love it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just that idea. You know, that basic, the worst creativity meetings I've ever been in is where everyone says, we've got loads of money, loads of resources. We can do anything at all. No one's got an idea. It's when you start to remove things. It's when you start to add constraints that you get people being creative. And so with experimental, the ultimate constraint is there's no performer. Let's take away the one thing that is in every other show. And you have to think, my goodness, how do you hold that audience? So I love it. It's it's one of my favorite things we've ever done. Talking of um, experimental new ideas, you've got a comic called Hocus Pocus. Tell us about that. 
Hocus Pocus came up. I worked with two um, uh, very uh, talented uh, comic producers, uh, Rick Worth and uh, Jordan uh, Culver, a little while ago. And then we got back together. We were doing some optical illusion stuff then. And I said, I've got this idea. Why don't we do a comic about all the things I love, psychology and the paranormal and magic, but I want it to be really interactive. I want the reader to actually experience the magic. And so we built lots of mathematical stuff and forces and all those sorts of things in there. And then, about a month before we're going to produce this thing, I said, why don't we also turn it into a prop for magicians? So we then built in another layer of secret stuff in there that a normal reader doesn't know, but magicians can use to you know, force cards or read minds or whatever. So it came out at Blackpool. Uh, it sold very well. Uh, it's now with PropDog. And yeah, we're, we're excited about it. And it's just that idea of taking comics, which I used to love as a, as a kid, and again, trying to do something innovative. So it's educational because it's about history of magic and, and parapsychology and the paranormal. But then it's also got this big strand of interactivity in there. I want one. It sounds amazing. It looks beautiful as well. <laughs> this is awful. I realise, but this is a half-hour show and we've run out of time. That's all right. I've got more questions, but we always end with four quick-fire questions, Richard. Okay. Are you poised? I'm, I'm poised. My goodness, I'm po I've never been more poised in my life. I'm glad to hear it. Your favourite <laughs> pizza topping? Oh, I don't eat pizza. Um, if I were to eat pizza, it would be... <laughs> You're theoretical. Yes. <laughs> Out of this world, it would be okay. a pizza topping with all the red ingredients on one side and all the black <laughs> ingredients on the other. And it would take a okay. very long time to make. And only at the end would the audience go, yeah, I think it was worth it. But it was a long time getting there. Okay. I assume you watch movies. Yes. You have done in, in the past. At some point, you've one seen a film. Two. Yeah. What was the one you enjoyed the most? I quite like this is a quick fire round, and I'm being remarkably slow with my answers. I would say, yeah, oh, come on, my favourite movie. Oh, God, I'm going to give such a bad answer. Go on. I thought of it. Such a bad answer. It's Wizard of Oz. Okay. Um, favourite person or people that produce music? Sorry? Favourite person or people that make music? Now, this is the thing. This is the thing. I don't know. Eric Mead, I don't know if Eric listens. I'm sure he does. Um, he's I coming on it. next week. Is he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. I'll give Eric my love. He's, he's fantastic. So I told Eric what I'm about to tell you at uh, EMC in, in Portugal. And <laughs> he was not only horrified and appalled, every time he sees me, he says, you were joking, weren't you? I mean, you were joking. <laughs> and I'm not joking. I do not listen to any music at all. For listeners, I'm using a quizzical face. <laughs> I, I, I have never been to a concert. I do listen to music when I go to the gym, but it's the same music all the time. It's just kind of backgroundy music. Not the gym psh, psh, psh music. <laughs> Not <laughs> is that that sort of yeah, it's that sort of thing. Just I get bored there. But I, I honestly know nothing about music at all. So, and that was, and that was wow. your face, which, which listeners won't be able oh, to see, yeah. is the same face that Eric pulled at EMC. <laughs> um, so the only thing wow. is that I, I did, um, I suppose if you asked me to choose a band, I would go with Queen, okay. uh, simply because I'm in one of their videos by... <laughs> I didn't know that. Which video? I'm in Friends Will Be Friends. 
Because well, not a well-known Queen song, apparently. <laughs> I'm walking along the street in London. Uh, this person comes out of a building and says, we're just trying to get people for a crowd scene for a video. I'd got no money. And I said, do they pay? And he went, yeah, it's like two pounds or something. So I go in and it's Queen and it's friends will be friends. And it's a big crowd scene. And at one point, one arm goes up and punches the air in the crowd. That's me. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find a video yeah. and find your arm. One arm goes up. I've got, that's right. It's like a blue shirt, a light blue shirt on. Yeah. So that's that's me. So I'm terribly sorry. And I know people will be appalled. And I know it's a huge gap in, just in my surprised rather than appalled. Well, the people should be appalled. But sorry about that. These are the longest answers to my quick so questions I think so I've ever sorry. had. No, it's, it's a delight. Um, finally, <laughs> finally, who would you prefer to fight one giant Andy or a hundred tiny Joshuas? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Mm. I'm not a violent man, but oh, uh, faced with a hundred tiny Joshuas, I would be a violent man. I think I would go with a hundred tiny Joshuas. Okay. Because I think if I got a big enough stick, I could take a lot uh -huh. of them out in just one sweep. Ah, you've thought this through. I like yeah. it. Yeah. And when I say sweep, I don't mean sooty and sweep. I, just, I mean, like, <laughs> have you had Richard on? Have you had Richard on? Sweet. Yeah, exactly. No, not yet. Not I'll get yet. him on. He's fantastic. I will, now, I will, I will. Get, get him to tell you the story. Of, oh, no, he won't tell you the story. He won't tell you the story. No, he's fantastic. Well, you, you, I don't know him. So you send him an email with my email saying, go on the Insider podcast. Damien's a delight to work with. Yeah, of course. Or words that say, Toler tolerable, tolerable <laughs> to work with. That would be fine. Yes, no, no, I'll, I'll say lovely things, and he's lovely as well. Should people want to keep up with your antics, what's mm. the best place that they should do that on that uh, My, my living room. Just, just, oh, I see. Um, just, just... <laughs> I would say richardwiseman.com uh, is where I post a lot of my stuff, and I'm on Twitter, at richardwiseman, uh, is, is where most of the, my silliness emerges. Or, best thing of all, uh, come and see me live and come and say hello afterwards. I, I just love doing live stuff. It's why Blackpool was so much fun. So really, to me, magic and speaking and psychology, it's about that live interaction. So yeah, um, when things are calmed down, come and see me live and, and fun will be had again. Professor Wiseman, thank you very much indeed for your time. I do appreciate it. Well, thank you very much as well. Thank you.